Hello, friends. Uh, welcome to New Life Fellowship Church. My name is Rich Lotus. I'm the lead pastor here in Queens, New York City, and it is a joy to have you with us. Whether you're joining us on Facebook, YouTube, newlife.nyc, I'm so glad that you are worshiping with us on this day. Now, before we get into our message today and continuing our series on the book of Job, I want to take the time to lead us in a minute of silence. You know, this weekend marks the one-year anniversary when the first New Yorker died uh, as a result of COVID-19. This was also the weekend when everything began to shut down in our city and in our nation. Uh, since that year, uh, you know, this weekend, this past March of 2020, we've seen so much death. We've seen so much agony, so much pain, so much loss, uh, so much disorientation. And I don't want to take another step forward in our service without recognizing those we have lost from our community, from our families, from our neighborhoods, from our city, from our nation, from the world. Uh, we want to be open to the ways God is moving towards us. At the same time, we want to be able to name the losses and allow God to uh, work in us uh, even as we grieve the significant losses of the past year. And so I want to give us a minute, just wherever you're at, maybe just Put whatever you have in your hands down for a moment. Uh, maybe just take a deep breath in and out. Uh, for some of you watching, you've experienced some significant loss. And we just want to, in solidarity with you, join you uh, in a moment of silence. And so uh, let's do it for one minute, and then I'll pray for us. Let's begin. Lord, we recognize the tremendous losses of the past year, and there's often nothing that we could say except uh, offer silence. Uh, strengthen those who are watching this right now. Be with those who are grieving in a unique way, and would you empower us by your Spirit uh, on this day. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, friends. We've been on a series uh, through the book of Job throughout this Lenten season, and we are now in the fifth week of our series on the book of Job. And so uh, we've heard many different conversations uh, and heard many people speak throughout this book in Job. We've heard Job speak. We've heard his friends speak. We've heard them debating about the retribution principle, what we've heard about. But now we get to chapter 38, and God begins to speak. And I want to offer, uh, we'll come back to what he says in a moment, but 
uh, there's some significant words for us to help us frame and reframe our moments of pain and our moments of suffering. I want to summarize where we've been so far. So far, at the beginning of Job chapter 1, it begins with a description of how godly and blameless Job was. And then it transitions right after the beginning of that description of who Job was into a conversation between God and the Hasitan. Remember this in, in week number one. And the debate that they're having in heaven is about why Job is worshiping the living God. And the Hasitan says, if you were to take everything away from Job, Job would stop worshiping you. He would curse you to his face. And they, go, they say yes to that arrangement, and in that process, Job loses his wealth, he loses his family, he loses his health, and in response, he laments and cries out to the living God. In chapter 2, Job has a very distressing conversation with his grieving wife, and in the process after that, a number of friends come on the scene to help Job get through this particular moment. And in that chapter, we saw three things that those friends did really well. First of all, when Job was suffering, they visited him. That's what good friends do. Good friends visit friends who are suffering. The second thing they did was they, they suffered with him. They, they, they tore their own robes. They put dust on their own heads as a means of entering into solidarity with Job and his suffering. And the third thing they did was they spent seven days in silence. I mentioned last week that some of us have a hard time spending seven seconds in silence with a friend. Seven minutes of silence. Seven hours. Seven days of silence they had with Job. Job. And at that point, after the seven days, it all went downhill because they began to speak. And boy, did they have a lot to say. In the next 30 chapters, there's a series of conversations with Job and his three friends. And actually, there's a fourth friend who comes on the scene later who adds his own bit of perspective to the whole situation here. And the basic thrust of the conversation is oriented around what we've been talking about. Hopefully you've memorized this by now, the retribution principle. And the retribution principle very simply is the notion that the righteous will prosper, especially always prosper, and the wicked will always suffer. Now in the process of this whole thing, Job never sinned before God. God knows this. We see this at the very beginning. But Job comes pretty close in terms of uh, cursing God to his face. He never curses God, but he comes pretty close. He says things about God in his grief that raises eyebrows when you read it. And at the core of Job's complaint is him believing God has it wrong. Something is wrong up there in heaven. And so one of the things Job says is in chapter 9 and verse 24, where he says, The earth has been handed over to the wicked. And God covers his face, the faces of the judges. If it's not God, then who is it? I mean, that, I mean, these are some dangerous words that Job is asserting about the living God. It's, it seems like he's saying God is somehow involved in carrying out the injustice. This kind of language does not improve the conversation that Job has with his friends. And they are shocked and enraged that Job would have these kind of comments about God. Now, at the point of this conversation, there are harsh words between Job and his friends. They come this close 
to saying your mother is so dumb kind of insults. I mean, if you read the book of Job, they are this close to, to dissing each other in that kind of way. And after all that back and forth, we get to chapter 38. So far, Job has spoken. So far, his friend Eliphaz has spoken. His friend Bildad has spoken. His friend Zophar has spoken. Later on, a fourth friend named Elihu comes on the scene. Elihu has spoken. Everyone has had something to say, and then God speaks. Chapter 38 is one of the most beautiful, awe-inspiring, and at the same time frustrating passages in all of the Bible. And when you read it, it's actually very majestic and it's very puzzling. Because God doesn't give the kind of answers that Job wants. And God doesn't give the kind of answers that we want. I want to read some passages out of Job 38. There's really a few chapters where God speaks, but I want to highlight some of the verses in chapter 38. Listen to what God says after everyone has spoken. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm or out of the whirlwind. He said, who is it that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. These are some heavy words right there. Brace yourself like a man. Verse 4, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footing sets? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther? Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning <laughs> or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. It's overwhelming what God says. Later on, God would say, have you made this animal? Have you made that animal? Have you sustained this animal? God gives a laundry list of everything that only God can do and says, Job, where were you when it happened? Now, throughout this chapter here, uh, I, I want to offer some reflections because I believe God is speaking to us and uh, how, what he speaks to Job, he speaks to us this this morning. Now, what is this saying? I want you to see, first of all, where God is speaking from. God, number one, speaks from the whirlwind. It's, think of it like a, a tornado. This is where God speaks out of. It's not God having a conversation like you and me here. The, God is like in a whirlwind, and Job is hearing these words spoken from that storm. What is this saying? What does this communicate to us? I think it communicates namely this. We cannot contain or control God. We cannot contain or control God. God is uncontrollable. Now, one of the things that we often confess, I think rightfully so, is that God is in control. 
We say when, when difficult situations happen, we go, God is in control. And it's a good statement that needs actually a lot of unpacking, but it's something that we regularly say, and I think it's a good thing that we say. But what we need to say alongside God is in control is that God is uncontrollable. God is uncontrollable. At the beginning of God's speech, we are made to see the vastness of God, the power of God, the immensity of God. And more than anything, we are called to reckon with the truth that God is beyond our control. Now, you might be asking, why is God speaking like this to a guy who has suffered like Job has? And the only thing that comes to mind is that God is trying to let Job know, and all of us know, that God can never be seized as an object for control. God seizes us. God's speech in Job 38 is to form humility in us. There is a time to lament. There is a time to cry out. There is a time to protest our concerns to God. And then there's a time for silence. And then there's a time for humility. Then there's a time for worship. Then there's a time for awe and wonder. We are never get to the point in our lives when we believe we know the ways of God. And more than anything, the book of Job is to help us recognize how much we don't know. That God is beyond human comprehension. Now, throughout the course of uh, church history, there have been people who have been able to contemplate and write about the mysterious truths of Christian faith. And there's a guy named Thomas Aquinas who's on the very top of that list. Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest theologians of the church, wrote thousands upon thousands upon thousands of uh, pages on theology, on the immensity of God, on philosophy, on metaphysics. Uh, I mean, everything you can imagine, this guy would say, he said it. And his ability to capture the immensity of the divine was unbelievable. And he would conclude a few things in his writings, that God is absolutely beyond human comprehension. He would say things like, you know, God is not a supreme being atop of a pyramid of lesser beings. God is absolute reality. God is not some part of creation. God is absolute reality and not just part of reality. He says things like this. God is beyond being and non-being in every other conceivable category. When I read this, my brain begins to hurt. Now, Aquinas wrote and wrote and wrote like he was running out of time. Uh, some of you will get that reference. And then at one moment, he encountered the one he was writing about. It is said that Thomas Aquinas had a vision of God. And after he had this vision of God, this guy who's accustomed to writing and writing and writing said, I cannot write anymore. I'm done writing theology. I'm done writing philosophy. I'm done writing about metaphysics. I am done. He put his pen down. And when his friend asked him why, he said, I cannot go on. All that I have written seems to me like so much straw compared to what I have seen and what has been revealed to me. There's another rendition that says, I can do no more. Such secrets have been revealed to me that all I have written appears to be of insignificant value. 
Now, this guy is one of the greatest theologians the church has ever seen, but he got a vision of God. And he said, everything else is straw in comparison to what I have seen. God is a whirlwind. God is immense. God is majestic. God speaks out of the whirlwind. Now, the second thing I want you to notice is that when God decides to speak, God talks about things that don't seem to have any connection to the conversation that Job has been having with his friends for the previous 30 chapters. None of Job's questions are answered in this chapter where God speaks. Job wants answers, but God gives questions. Job wants fairness, but God gives omnipotence. Job wants clarity, but God gives him mystery. Job wants reasons, but God gives him wisdom. God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And good spirituality is about holding on to these tensions, tensions of lament and silence, tensions of protest and trust, tensions of petition and submission, uh, tensions of faith and mystery. God in this chapter asks lots of questions, actually about 50 questions he asked Job. And the questions are about the nature and origin of the universe and the created order. And the questions are really simple. Where were you when I made this? <laughs> Where were you when all this came into existence? Uh, when did you ever do what I've done? Who is the one who sustains everything? Can you do what I do and make it look easy? God doesn't respond with answers, but with questions. What in the world are we to take out of this? I mentioned on social media that I was preaching this message, and uh, I, I said, wow, what a passage. And, you know, God gives answers, when, questions when we want answers. God gives mystery when we want clarity. And there were probably about five or six people who responded and said, this sounds depressing. This sounds awful. Why is this a good thing? And I want to mention why I believe this is a good thing for us. I want to show actually three reasons why. What are we to take out of this chapter? First of all, we are to take out of this chapter that God is wholly other. Wholly other. Wholly other. This is not just a key theological truth. This is something that needs to be etched into the very fabric of our being. God is other. God is mystery. One of the temptations that we have, especially people who have been Christians for a long time, is believing we know how God works. In the 1990s, there was a, a church youth leader from Michigan who had learned a particular phrase and would take that phrase and popularize it through friendship bracelets. The phrase that was popularized was, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And soon after that, there were bracelets everywhere. Millions upon millions upon millions of bracelets every single where. I mean, I became a Christian in 1999. When I became a Christian, I got a bracelet very quickly. What would Jesus do? And the phrase stood out to her uh, because she wanted to wrestle with what it means to follow Jesus in this world. Now, it's a good question. It's a good question. What it seeks to do is have Jesus be the center of our decisions. What would Jesus do in this particular situation? The problem, though, is that it assumes that we know 
what Jesus would actually do in many circumstances. And it's problematic because all throughout the Gospels, those who were closest to Jesus rarely knew what he was doing. This is what's mind-boggling when you read the Gospels. Jesus was always confounding people. He was never going according to uh, the traditional wisdom of the day. He gave grace to people who the world had no use for, and he pronounced judgment on people who thought they were in. He touches people who were never been touched before, and he had meals with religious fundamentalists. He says, I and the Father are one. Very scandalous. And then he dies on a cross to conquer sin and death. What would Jesus do? There are many times I go, I have no clue what Jesus would do. Who has known the mind of God? And so when we read Job 38, we are to come to this conclusion, God is holy other, which is to pr produce humility in us. Openness to the ways of God. But not only that do we learn in Job 38. Secondly, we learn that God is the sustainer of the world. God is the sustainer of the world. Over and over in Job 38, 39, 40, he talks about the created order and that he, God is the source of everything that we see and God is the one who is sustaining everything that we see. Now these chapters seem incredibly puzzling because God's word seems so disconnected from Job's plight. Job says, why am I suffering? God responds, have you ever made a hippopotamus? I mean, it doesn't, like, what does hippopo a hippopotamus, and he talks about hippopotamus in verse 30, chapter 39, what does a hippopotamus have to do with my suffering? It sounds bizarre, but I believe something else is going on. I don't think God is as disconnected as it might seem. God is reminding Job that he is creator, but not just creator, sustainer. God is the one who sits high, as the old preachers would say, and looks low. He's the one who has great power, but also tends to the things that he's made. In all these things, God is reminding Job that if he can sustain the world, Job, I can sustain you as well. And that's a good word for all of us. In our suffering, God is the su sustainer. In our trials, God is the maintainer. In our grief, God is near. In our pain, God proves to be greater than any kind of fear that we carry. And so the word of the Lord to us is to hold on. Why? Because God is sustainer. God is powerful. God is mighty. God is mystery. God is sustainer. God is the one who can hold us together. And so when, when he's saying, who made all this? Who made all this? Who made all this? And who sustains it? He's saying, Job, look at it, everything I've made and look at everything I've sustained. Can't I do the same for you as well? And so Job hears these words. It's not just God trying to be distant. He's trying to give Job the bigger picture. Job, I'm with you. I can sustain what we see in this world. And so thirdly, what do we learn from chapter 38? Not just that God is holy other, not just that God is the sustainer, but thirdly, that we are invited to trust God's wisdom and creative ways. Even when you can't figure it out. Trust God's wisdom and creative ways. What God, this is hard for us, friends, what God 
is inviting us to is trust, not total understanding. Faith, you see, faith cannot coincide with certainty. We want evidence. We want data, empirical data. And we say, I want to know that I know that I know. That's not faith. Because faith doesn't give us the kind of certainty that we want. That's what makes faith, faith. And we are invited in this passage to trust, to have faith, even when we don't understand. Because God is God and we are not, we will not know all of the workings of the universe. We will not know how everything is working out. Why? Because the world is not centered around me. The world is centered around God. And Job needed that revelation. And so do we. So the invitation is to trust in God's creative and sustaining ways, to trust God's wisdom even when we can't figure it out. When I think of this, I think of a passage that we often go to in times of suffering in Romans 8. How does God in God's creative ways and wisdom respond. It's often the case that when we read Romans 8.28, we translate that verse in this way. All things work together for good to those who love God. And when you read this verse, it's often the case that people go, loss has come. Don't worry about it. All things work together. Don't worry about it. And it can come across a little too detached emotionally. We don't allow ourselves to grieve, to lament, and it becomes this stoic kind of, don't worry about it, all things are going to work out. But that's not really how this passage is to be translated. It's not all things work together for good. The subject in that verse there is not all things. The subject is actually God. And so the translation is to be, God works all things together. It's not all things. It's God works all things which is to say there's never a moment when god is not working and even though we might not understand his wisdom never understand his ways god is always working god is the subject of this verse and so you might be looking at your circumstances and your situations and wondering what in the world is going on i don't know everything that's going on but this is what i do know god is working and God works together all things for good. And we have the hope in Jesus Christ because he's conquered the grave that even if those all, those all things happen after death and in the age to come, God will work all of these things for good. And this is the hope that we have as Christians, brothers and sisters. We might not see all things working together for good in our lifetime, but amen, we trust in a God who does not stop working when we die. We trust in a God who's still working after we die and in the age to come. Why? Because God is always working. He is the subject. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the maintainer. And so we have to trust in this truth. God works all things together for good god speaks profoundly to job in chapters 38 39 and 40 job where were you did you ever do this and this is not god trying to crush job it's god trying to help job get a bigger picture of who's creator and sustainer and what it means to live in relationship with this god now job hears these words 
And he offers his own repentance. And he responds in silence. And I think that is the proper response to what we have heard in chapter 38. God is wholly other. God is the creator and sustainer. And we are invited to trust in God. How do we respond to this? I think we respond in silence. There's a time to lament, and then there's a time for silence. There's a time to protest. Say, God, what's going on here? And there's a time for trust. There's a time for, to raise our voices, and then there's a time to sit in stillness and say, God, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you are creator and sustainer and that you will sustain my life. I want to lead us in doing something that some of you probably have never done in a church service before. Maybe you've done it alone, but I want to give us five minutes. It's like, five minutes, what? I want to give us five minutes as we hit this one-year anniversary of the first death, as we see the immensity of over half a million people dead in our country due to COVID-19. As we think about the ongoing challenges and grief that we're holding, sometimes the best way to respond is simply not to say anything, but to recognize the immensity of God and say, God, have mercy. God, I trust you. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I believe that you are a God of grace and love and power and that one day you're going to make all things right and all things new and you're going to heal the world. But in the meantime, there's nothing I can say. I'm going to give us five minutes, wherever you're at, in your living room, your bedroom, maybe parked in a car right now on a break at lunch. We're going to have five minutes and I'm going to, I'll be the timekeeper. And uh, when I say let's begin, we'll begin and I'll close us with a word of prayer and we'll be done with our service. But this is an opportunity for us to pause and be still. God is God and we are not. You know, it's uh, Ecclesiastes 5. If we can just put that verse on the screen here. It says, don't be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are, you are on earth. So let your words be few. And I think this is a great verse to end our time here. Get in a comfortable position. Maybe you want to open your hands towards heaven as a sign of receiving. And let's have five minutes of silence in the presence of God. Let's begin right now.
Lord, thank you for your presence. In the midst of suffering and pain, you speak incredibly clearly in the book of Job. And Lord, while we don't get the answers that we want, we are asked, you're giving us a new set of questions. And the questions help us to find ourselves at the center of your own life. Lord, there are times to speak and then there are times for silence. There's times for protest and then there's a time for trust. Help us to trust in you. Help us to trust in you and your wisdom when things are not unfolding as we had hoped hope that you are making all things new. Thank you for your son Jesus who has rescued us and has set this world on a new trajectory. One of hope, healing, and blood. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, as we close our service, there's a few things that we have to uh, connect you with at the end of our time here. Uh, for those of you who wrestle with that five minutes here, we have a sermon discussion time right after our service. And maybe that'd be a good opportunity for you to talk about what it was like to be silent. How'd you feel about God's questions and Job 38 and 39? Uh, how did you respond to those words there? So after every... Uh, Sunday, we've been having these conversations and they've been great. And so feel free uh, to join us with that. Additionally, if you're needing prayer right now, uh, at the end of our service, we have our virtual prayer room. If you need someone to just speak words of life over you and words of hope and encouragement over you, feel free to uh, join that link. You can click on that link on our newlife.nyc page as well as on YouTube and on Facebook. The link will be uh, right there for you. I also want to mention before I pray a uh, prayer of blessing is that we're going to have an out-of-towners out gathering uh, coming up. Uh, on the 21st. And so if you are, if you've been joining New Life outside of the New York area uh, and you've been saying uh, throughout this pandemic, man, I, I wish I could connect with people there. Maybe you don't have a church. Maybe you're a new Christian and you've been attending New Life. I've met a lot of people over uh, online who have been coming to New Life and they live in different parts of the country and even different parts of the world. And so uh, we're going to have a gathering. I would love to have an hour uh, to connect with some of you who've been visiting us. And so there'll be a registration uh, link that you can sign up for that. Uh, would love to connect with you there. And then lastly, before I offer a blessing, uh, for those of you who've been watching, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. And you don't know what to say in the midst of your own pain and suffering. But you hear this word that God is for you, that God is with you, that God has come in the person of Jesus to forgive you and offer you eternal life. If that's something that you're feeling resonating in your soul, we want to serve you. On the screen, there's a phone number that you could text yes to Jesus. And at that point there, you can, uh, you can text and one of our pastors will get in touch with you and help you to take the next step on your journey. So feel free to reach out to us today. We would love to be in touch with you. As we close our service, I want to offer a word of blessing as we always do. So please open your hands towards heaven as a sign of uh, receiving blessing. And let me offer these words to you. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the truth that God is wholly other, that God is creator and sustainer, and that God invites you to trust even when you cannot understand. May that fuel your life and fill your life this week. And may God move towards you in great love. May you receive that love this week. I bless you all, the strong and the beautiful in the very present name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week.